Hello and welcome to Shifter's podcast. This is normally in Norwegian, but today we have a Norwegian guest that has forgotten how to speak uh, Norwegian, so we're doing this in English. So uh, welcome to you, uh, Frode Ödgård. You are a serial entrepreneur and you left Norway uh, uh, about uh, in high school, right after high school? Shortly after, yeah. It's been 25, 26 years ago. 26 years ago. And um, and, and now you're back here to to do a workshop and... um, you focus on organization, organizational design mm-hmm. and what you call it is post-lean thinking. Mm-hmm. So, Frude, just tell me shortly about your background. So, uh, well, my, my my journey, my career really started in software engineering research and theoretical computer science. And so the reason I became interested in organizational design and lean was that I, I wanted to understand the bigger picture. You know, I wanted to understand why individual product teams had such problems building successful products. Um, and a lot of times those products were not due to engineering issues or even understanding what the customer wanted. They were bigger picture issues, you know, at play, such as, you know, the larger workflow in the organization, you know, it's it's dysfunctional structure, uh, unhealthy cultures, bad leadership styles, uh, a business model that wasn't working, uh, governance issues, you know, um, a board that wasn't working well, and so on and so on. So, um, so around 2001, 2002, I really kind of made that transition. So I, I, I then entered um, organizational design with the mindset of someone who came out of theoretical computer science. So I was very interested in modeling organizations and how they evolved. And as I looked around to see what organizations were out there that had succeeded building uh, both a culture and and building out the methodology for for doing organizational learning, the, the organization that stood out um, was, was Toyota. Mm. And, and of course, what Toyota referred to as the Toyota management system or the Toyota production system um, had become known in, in the West as lean or lean mm. thinking, this mm. way of thinking about organizations. Is that the Ho- Hoshin? Is that from... That's, well, that's just, that's part of it. Mm. That's a yeah. set of practices for, for strategy. Mm. For, um, but, but really, what Toyota would tell you that lean is, is um, developing people so they in turn can develop the organization. Okay. And, and that requires a certain way of looking at people as mm. independent thinkers, as independent problem solvers. Mm. And what you want to try to do is give them the tools the, to, to quantify things, to think critically, to do root cause analysis, mm. to integrate their findings. And at Toyota, that works from, you know, from day-to-day small problems up to strategic challenges, which mm. are just broken up into sub-problems. Mm. So, um, so empower people or develop people so they in turn can develop the organization. That's right. And that's how the organization mm. then improves and that's mm. how you create customer value and thereby shareholder value. So how, how is that different from Lean Startup? Well, Lean Startup was essentially uh, taking um, a small subset of the Lean tools and applying them to a problem that early stage startups face, um, which is finding product market fit. Um, keep in mind that most startups are not disruptive, they're incremental. They're trying to find an unfilled um, need in the marketplace uh, and fill that need better than anyone else. So, uh, And so when they talk about iterating and so on, that's really just an application of organizational learning to the outside environment. But the learning is very much iterative, it's incremental. Hmm. Um, now, 
what what we did at um, at the Lean Systems Institute or LSI is we didn't start with traditional lean. Uh, we're talking now 0304. We didn't start with uh, traditional lean really in the first place. What we did is immediately started reinventing it for knowledge work. So we added a substantial set of models uh, and methods and problem-solving methods and so on and then practices to traditional lean, and we develop a framework uh, that became known as the Lean Systems Framework. Hmm. So this is so. So now you you told us a little bit about how you used to work mm-hmm. in the in the Lean System uh, in- Institute, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but uh, two years ago you saw something, and you shifted. Yeah, and, and it's funny because when when you when you've been through something like what I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. You're always going to tell yourself, "Why didn't I see this sooner?" But <laughs> <laughs> what happened was that someone asked me to submit. I think it was a Cutter Journal, which is a journal read by chief information officers um, in mostly mid-sized and larger companies. Um, they asked me to to consider writing a paper about lean and um, and big data. And so there was. Uh, this must have been 2003, 2000, uh, 2013, 14. So so there was a, a, a lot of interest in in predictive analytics and so on. And I started exploring the contrast between predictive analytics and human problem solving mm. in, in the Lean School, which tended to be tended to be reactive. In mm. other words, something bad would happen. Mm. Then you would do the root cause analysis. You'd figure out a you know, preventative measure so it mm. wouldn't happen again. And then mm. you would implement that and then things would improve. Uh, and of course, people were becoming more interested in, in using uh, analytics and machine learning mm. to, to do problem solving. And... So, and there were some other things I had noticed as well um, that that really made it seem like the, the, the assumptions behind building learning organizations in the mm-hmm. sense that we'd been advocating that and the, and the traditional Lean School also had been advocating that for a long time, those assumptions were coming under attack. So, mm-hmm. so another one was employee tenures. So employee tenures are going down. So this idea of developing people over many, many years, you know, a long period of time, um, that just didn't seem practical anymore. In fact, mm-hmm. in, in Silicon Valley, uh, 2014, uh, the average employee tenure for tech startups was 10.8 months. Really? So, what does that mean? So, every, so that's that's the uh, average, average time they to... actually are in the same job. Yeah. Okay. 10 point... 10.8 months. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, and even in construction, when we started looking yeah. at these, uh, so the the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Uh, statistics, you know, yeah. they 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 keep uh, records of the stuff, um, and they publish statistics, and even even in construction, which was a fa- fairly conservative mm. field, you know, um, uh, employee tenure had gone down to six point five years, six and a half years. Yeah, I mean, like startups, so, you know, most startups fail, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you know, so like statistically, you will be out of a job. Nine out of ten times. Oh well, it's not just because of that. It's no. People also because they find a better deal elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, someone else is doing something more exciting. Mm. Yeah. Um, or uh, they and they may not have joined the startup when it started, and mm. they maybe they leave to do their own startup. So, yeah. Mm. So it's not just because of, because the companies fail. No, but is is the start is that is looking at the startup is that a good representation of how rest of society looks like? Well, what we also found was organizational lifespans were shrinking. So yeah. it used to be when you got on the S&P 500 list, mm. 
you know, you're set for life. Yeah, mm. you were for a few decades. Yeah, and now you know it's less than 15 years, and mm. it keeps going down. So, so what seems to happen is employee tenures are going down, mm. um, and organizational lifespans are going down, mm. and we're seeing a shift from from human problem solving to to uh, uh, machines doing solving a lot of problems, or mm. it doesn't just have to be machine learning. I mean, mm. even just if you can find an algorithm that yeah. does, you know, that for like scheduling problems or something like that, that, yeah. that does what you what you do uh, as a human, you just let the software do it. Yeah. So, um, can, can you can what, what can you come up with an example for that? Well, I mean, I think I think in in the lean world, I mean, just figuring out your you know what is your ideal inventory buffer. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and and having people do the calculations for that, mm. um, and uh, you know, and scheduling problems, mm. um, figuring out where the bottleneck is in the value stream. Mm. You know, having people go trace the the value stream, look at the timeline, see where the most time is spent. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of that is some aspect of mm. uh, resource allocation uh, scheduling. And if you look at uh, you know Uber, yeah. uh, well, Uber is semi-illegal here still, but ordinarily I would have arrived here and I would have mm. used Uber as an example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they use machine learning software to optimize where they're going to have uh, um, their vehicles mm. to reduce the wait time. But And previously so, people would do that. Like, nor, um, persons would actually do that well, manually. Yeah, you'd have individual cab drivers yeah. hanging around a certain part of town because... Mm. That's mm. where, in their experience, you know, yeah. a lot of people were coming out of a certain club, mm. so that's a pattern that they've yeah. started exploiting. And, mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so all these basic assumptions behind lean, um, the idea of, of long-range strategic planning, organizations, you know, the idea of uh, idea of the ideal organization as being mm. one that lasts a long time, develops people, um, and and uh, it provides a meaning in in uh, in jobs for people. By having giving them an opportunity to grow, hmm. um, those those assumptions seemed less and less tenable. Hmm. Uh, so we started investigating, you know, why and how all of this uh, came to be, which was a pretty interesting story in itself. Hmm. And and how did it? Well, we have to go back in time a little hmm. bit. Okay, about twelve thousand years. Okay, let's let's do this uh, historical uh, journey in, in less than sixty uh, seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so. So Paleolithic is the old Stone Age. Mm. Not much exciting management going on there. But we started mm. looking at how humans in the uh, in different historical eras organized work. So mm. the Mesolithic, the Middle Stone Age, so we're talking uh, 12,000 years ago, you see part-time agriculture and you go from sort of extended families, bands to mm. tribes. Mm. And then in the, in the uh, Neolithic 10,000 years ago, now you see uh, the beginning of division of labor, you know, you see a, a warrior class, you mm. see a priest class, you see people dedicated to farming full time, mm. to watching the, the the livestock and so on. And and when we get the more high tech version of all of that in the Bronze Age, you know, we get writing systems, accounting, um, we get uh, currency, written contracts, um, and and now we start sort of modern modern bureaucracy. Mm. But the trend that's been going up uh, throughout the old ages, you know, the classical. Uh, classical civilization and 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 medieval Europe and the industrial uh, revolution, which we got because of Aristotle's contribution and 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 others around him, mm. um, uh, you know this idea of, of thinking about how we think about things is a, is, yeah. a, is the Greeks' gift to us, right? Mm. So so um, you see basically the the technology goes up, 
uh, soda stratification or layers of layers of management. Human mm. population grew. How do you organize people? Will you organize them by division of labor and hierarchies of management? Mm. So we traced throughout the eras, we traced these two uh, two trends. Mm. Oh, well, after we've done all the research, then we mm. reconstructed and we reduced these two trends. There's a lot more to it than that. But, uh, and then what we saw was with the advent of marketplace organizations like Uber and Airbnb, those two trends were parting ways. Mm. So technology development continued. In fact, it's developing exponentially. Mm. Um, and uh, stratification collapsed. Mm. And so as these two separated, that was kind of the signal for us that that um, so, we're entering a new a new type of civilization, which we call the post-industrial. So stratification, to clarify that, is that like a specialization? Yeah. So stratification is just that you have different layers mm. uh, in organizations. So this starts uh, this starts for real in the in the Neolithic with agriculture. So, um, so what, what what's the difference between a stratified organization and a non-stratified organization? Well, stratified organization is one where you have you know there's 19 layers between you and the CEO, hmm. um, and uh, and there's still quite a few of those around mm -hmm. actually large yeah. companies. Um, <laughs> and and uh, now what we're seeing more is an interest in you know self governance and, hmm. and those kinds of things. Um, but that's still not certainly not not mainstream. Mm. Mm. But with with um, with organizations like Airbnb and Uber, mm. you see uh, basically your your boss is now an API, mm. right? I mean, you, yeah. if you're a driver, yeah. your your boss tells you where to go, mm. who to pick you up. You're basically an organic robot at yeah. that point, mm. um, and and you're not there as an employee. You're there as mm. a freelancer, and yeah. you probably don't want to be an employee. You might mm. be doing Uber on the side. You know, mm. you're going to school, yeah. um, or you may be working on a startup, or mm. or uh, maybe it's an extra job for you to make extra money. Mm. So it allows people to dip into that sort of flexible um, labor market. Mm. Um, and both, what's interesting with both uh, Airbnb and Uber and other such marketplace um, organizations, is that they can add a tremendous amount of value by improving asset utilization. Mm and improving labor utilization without actually having a lot of um, employees mm. and owning any assets. Mm. Um, and that's a new thing, a relatively new thing in business history. We've had the manual version of marketplaces before, of course. Mm. You go to the bazaar, you know, or the, the flea market or, yeah. you know, but uh, but now the fact that it's it's online and, and, and it's becoming a big part of the economy. They're actually making it easier for you to work for yourself, right? Well, yeah, so, so although, the other side of this coin is that the kind of jobs that are now moving to mm. marketplace organizations mm. are moving there to die. Mm. Um, and people don't seem to talk about that um, as much maybe as they should. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but but if your job is of the kind mm. where you can build an API mm. to task you to do very specific things, mm. chances are that at some point someone will figure out to do that in the software mm. with software and or robots. So and being of course, a... that's, what ha that's happening to drivers. Soon there will be no more drivers. Okay. So because of self-driving cars. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the only work that will be left, you know, mm. is is uh, is creative knowledge work and mm. sort of personal service work. Yeah. But anything that's uh, physical or or mental, that's sort of boring or dangerous, repetitive kind of mm. work, will just gradually disappear. And and you know, over the next couple of decades, we're going to mm. see tremendous uh, changes. And so the what what Postlean really is is recognizing that the world is changing this way, mm. and then saying, well, we need to think of uh, what Toyota has done and has been trying to teach, you know, the rest of us for decades is no longer the state-of-the-art thinking about building learning organizations because there will be no more monolithic, long-lasting organizations left. Organizations will be more like pop-up restaurants 
um, and they will be more these loosely coupled networks. So institutions are becoming less important. People are becoming more important. Mm. And humans are going to live a lot longer too very mm. soon. Yeah. So multi-hundred-year lifespans you know, will no longer be science fiction. So. But it seems to me that isn't it a little bit dangerous Let's let's see. You see, you know, you see how the future of labor is going to be. Mm -hmm. You see, you know, you see how it's, you know, going to be. But to the society is not changing that fast, is it? You said, you said, you know, in a couple of decades, we'll probably have, you know, this will happen in a couple of decades. No, not in a couple of decades. It's happening right it's, now. It's happening right now. <laughs> but, but over but, the next couple of decades. But but yeah. we're in a transition yeah. period, right? Yes. And and that seems to me to be extra challenging. Mm -hmm. You know how to organize. Your organization in a trans transition period when you you know have both the old you know the old society and the old stuff right. and you you know you're working you you're walking towards entirely new society mm -hmm. how how do you tackle that well it's 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 a different problem for different kinds of uh, participants yeah and this is a big stage where we all have a role to play so. Mm. Think of, of everyone doing a startup. Hmm. I mean, this is a wonderful time to do a startup. Yeah. I mean, this is the best time ever uh, because you have all of these exponentially developing technologies hmm. that even if you didn't develop them hmm. are available to you for less and less investment hmm. uh, so that you don't require a lot of capital to utilize these technologies to make tremendous changes in the economy and disrupt entire industries or hmm. create entire industries. So that's a very exciting time. Now for... For those who are running mature organizations or for private equity firms, for mm. example, that own have portfolios of, of companies that are usually mature companies, mm. it's a significant challenge. Yeah. And so so each of these companies have to go through a transition roadmap. And a lot of our research now is about the nitty-gritty of, of how that's going to happen. So, so, for example, you have to have a strategy for taking any work that can be automated mm. and aggressively automating it. That mm. means you know laying off people. And and that's something that you should do, you should do, um, in in a way that such a you you if you fall behind doing it you're mm -hmm. going to have a capital efficiency disadvantage. So so, so it's large, important, yeah. Large companies should do that. Well, large and smaller mm -hmm. companies. I mean, yeah. for anyone who has a bunch of employees doing doing mm -hmm. repetitive work, yeah, you should be looking at how you can you know how you can deploy robots and software to to take over that work. So that's one way to tackle this. Yeah, and, mm. and you have to keep in mind that you have to generate value for your customers still mm. while you're doing this. So yeah. you can't just shut down the company. It's more mm. like you have to upgrade your car from, mm. a, from a Volkswagen something to a Porsche while mm. you're driving on the freeway at yeah. 100 miles an hour, mm. right? or whatever the speed limit is. <laughs> I always convert from kilometers to miles anyway yeah. uh, when I drive here. Yeah. Um, uh, we can edit this out, right? Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, so, so then... Um, uh, then there's the, the structure of the organization. Mm. So you have to, um, instead of thinking about the business in a way where you're trying to just keep what you have you know, running well, mm. you have to assume that competitive, uh, your competitive advantage is going to disappear faster than it would have otherwise. Mm. Right? Because other people are just deploying exponential technologies or even developing exponential mm. technologies. Mm. And what do we mean by exponential technologies? It's the fact that yeah, we're, we're not seeing linear improvements in, in price performance. Mm. Yeah, we're seeing exponential yeah. uh, improvements. So think of Moore's Law, the microprocessor, yeah. and all the other technologies that depend on yeah. you know, information technology progressing and bandwidth mm. progressing and so on. And is it, is it hard for us humans to, to actually realize this? Because we've been used to a linear development. Sure. 
Well, and our, all our all our the way the way we think about managing companies, mm-hmm. that whole mindset it goes back to the Bronze Age and the Neolithic. I mean, let's mm-hmm. let's not forget that the first silos everyone complains about organizational mm-hmm. silos were corn silos mm-hmm. in the Neolithic. Yeah. So so the siloed organization is ten thousand years old. Mm-hmm. So if you're complaining about middle managers today, just mm-hmm. know that you're you're not alone. <laughs> There's ten millennia yeah. of people yeah. <laughs> having the same complaints. Yeah. And now all of that's going to be uh, be uprooted, and we have to think of, of smarter uh, ways to to organize ourselves. And a lot of that's going to involve using software and machine learning to help coordinate coordinate work, even even knowledge work. Hmm. Um, but the the um, going back to the whole transition that you were talking hmm. about, what we will see is uh, is, a, is an organizing pattern uh, that we refer to as higher order organizations where instead of having an innovation lab or an incubator sort of on the periphery or in the corner of your company, yeah. it now becomes the strategic core of the organization hmm. to develop new organizations. And these organizations um, of the near future will be, you know, will be not like the Marriott's, which are monolithic. Hmm. You know, I think they have 400,000 employees now after the, the acquisition of, of, um, of Starwood. Um, you know, think of, uh, it's more like, um, let's see, well, so there's Airbnb, hmm. so you know less than 4,000 employees, right? Hmm. So the capital efficiency is brutal. Hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, I read somewhere the last year in Oftenposten that one third of the overnight bookings last year hmm. in uh, in Bergen were done hmm. via Airbnb. Okay, yeah, right. So hmm. so that industry is being severely disrupted. Hmm. But let's see how how much smaller we can go. So hmm. Airbnb had 13 employees when hmm. they required for a billion dollars. Yeah. So think more of that size. Yeah. So you're most of the most of the work now will be done by machines and, hmm. and software. So so if you're a mature organization, you should reframe the businesses you have hmm. as sort of mature portfolio businesses, hmm. and you should invest much more in developing people to develop new organizations mm. which will be uh, which will be partially self-governing and, and and very automated to create new value even in industries you're not in now you, you so. need to explain this um so you need to develop people to develop new organizations right within, you, within the organization that's right yeah so high order organizations are just mm. organizations that develop other organizations mm. so so one mainstream example of this is uh, is google mm. so google now has a parent company called alphabet yeah and so it's like a solar system where you have mm. jupiter which mm. is google and then the rest of the whatever they've been doing, which is space dust you mm. know, compared to. So they need to grow new planets. Mm. Uh, and if you have a business where most of your revenue is from two or three lines of business, mm. uh, which are involve a lot of manual manual work and, and they're not digitized and so on, mm. you're in very big trouble. Um, and um, and um, so it's so the- a lot of CEOs aren't seeing, you know, they're not aware enough of the disruption that's uh, that's coming because they're still managing with yesterday's mindset. So instead of focusing on your core business, you should focusing on developing developing new organization that can tackle different types of problems. Right. So so instead of uh, so I'm not saying uh, uh, ignore your core business. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying that you need to allocate probably more resources than you otherwise would have on on developing uh, new organizations. Mm. And so it's kind of more reframing what the core of the company is. Yeah. You know, the, the core of the company in many organizations is is fairly tightly coupled with the business units mm. and it's setting goals and then people have to achieve goals or quarterly goals, yearly goals and so mm. on. And probably what you want to focus more on is how can we attract entrepreneurial talent from the company and from the mm. outside mm. 
who can work with us to build, you know, to build another bunch of new organizations, hmm. none of which are going to be very big because hmm. scaling organizations is not going to mean adding a lot of people. Hmm. In fact, that's sort of a, 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 a severe misnomer or, or bad assumption that people have is hmm. we should encourage entrepreneurship because they will create a lot of jobs. Hmm. And the answer is that in the near future, most of these uh, companies will never need a lot of employees. Hmm. Most, of the, most of the work they do will be done by machines. And so, that means that a much larger percentage of the population, by mm. the way, will have to start create their own jobs to create their own companies if you're mm. going to maintain this, a similar kind of employment level. But how can and, and everyone can't start their own companies, right? Or can they? Well, it doesn't take rocket science. No, I mean like you <laughs> it know, does uh, take a certain it does take a certain education and mindset. Yeah. But there are very traditional places like Norway mm. where mm. starting your own company, you know, for the longest time, um, I think it's getting it's mm. changing now a little bit, but. That was like a big deal. I mean, when mm. I started my first company here, people mm. responded with sort of a combination of, of incredulousness and envy and mm. skepticism. And and uh, that's what, one of the reasons it was such a relief for me to come to Silicon Valley, yeah. which has its own challenges, certainly. But mm. mindset-wise, it was like, that was a normal thing. What, what about the people that... Well, let me just tell you, so, yeah, uh, I'm uh, a couple of years ago, I met uh, this Indian woman who was a gas station manager. Mm. Right. So you think of that as sort of a lower end job, right? Mm. But she was a newly arrived immigrant mm. and she and her husband were working on two tech startup startups on the side. Mm. So in Los Angeles, you know, you mm. waiter or waitress is an actor on the mm. side. They're hopefully yeah. to become full time actor. Mm. In Silicon Valley, they're you know, everyone's an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think the 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 culture here will change that way too, and mm. I think is changing. Mm. Um and and uh you know, historically um here, at least in Norway, I remember from mm. from growing up here. You had this mindset of sort of the workers, you know, with mm. big unions versus the mm. business owners. Yeah. And that's an industrial era, you know, old fashioned way of looking at the world. So mm. for the new the younger people, millennials, mm. they don't want to work for in a big hierarchy, right? Mm. They don't want to be at the bottom of seven layers or seventeen mm. layers of management. Mm. They wanna you know, they wanna make an impact in the world, they mm. wanna have the sense of, of uh, they wanna experience self actualization. Mm. And so now what you're seeing is you have the the makers who are this new generation of people with with the mindset and the and the and the ability to create new things mm. they will create their own jobs they will create their own small organizations yeah um and and these larger monolithic organizations will have to rapidly adjust or you know or die, die off but certainly their employment levels are going to shrink a lot and and mm. today's unions really are stuck in a business model where they're mm. supposed to provide value for people who have just the kind of jobs mm. which are all going to go away yeah. because of automation, right? Yeah. So mm. they will also have to adjust their business mm. model mm. and rethink their assumptions or they will go away as dinosaurs as well. Mm. So lots of changes coming for all of us. So you think in a certain uh, certain time, there will, everyone will be a freelancer in a, in a certain, like not everyone, but most people will be entrepreneurs? So I heard I heard that the leader of the was it the LO union here referred yeah. to those people as the Lösarbeiter, mm. which means that in this culture people who are freelancers mm. are not viewed as <laughs> maybe <laughs> as 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 very worthy people. Uh, but freelancer, if you look at the origin of the word, mm. it just means it's a soldier for hire. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The lance. Right? I didn't. Yeah, that's yeah. True, yeah. So your lance is free. You're, yeah. you, you So the. So you can say the negative connotation is you're a mercenary. Mm. You'll kill for anyone who gives yeah. you money. But the positive connotation is that you can chart your own path mm. in life, right? Yeah. Um, and you're not necessarily doing that just as an individual. What you might mm. do is 
get together with four or five of your friends mm. and you start the next Instagram or something mm. like that. That's a rapidly scalable uh, mm. business where the world is your customer base, mm. um, where most of the work will be done, you know, by software and machines. And mm. you're just basically assembling this technology. And, and, and if you are, you know, if you are a technologist, you might uh, create a different kind of uh, organization that's actually mm. developing new technology that will then be used by other people to, to change the world. So opportunity for, for everyone, but these old industrial type of jobs and repetitive type mm. of jobs, they're, they're definitely going to go away very quickly. So you wouldn't uh, recommend someone becoming a, a truck driver? No, and in fact, uh, mm. the, one of the saddest stories I've, I've told, and I travel around now speaking mm. about this stuff quite a lot, and one of the saddest stories I've told people is the Uber driver I had who was going to school part-time, mm. and that sounded pretty good so far, right? Yeah. Great, you're making money with Uber, you have all the flexibility, mm. you can you can log in and out of the system, mm. and then you can make it to class. And then he was telling me that he was studying to become a truck driver. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a yeah. you know, the type of job that was going mm. to be gone. And you have self-driving trucks on the road, you know, right now. So, yeah. so um, no, and, and it means that the minimum educational requirement mm. to be able to add value in the economy is, of course, going up yeah. uh, tremendously. And the, and the conventional, um, um, whether it's universities or the government-run educational systems around the world, including here, certainly, are not up to that challenge at all. I think you're going to see a lot of private um, um, sector initiatives to help uh, help the people who are, let's say you were 17 years old, mm. you never even finished you know, high school or something, you're working in a McDonald's, mm. uh, bad news, you know, Monday morning you learn that there's a robot now that can make 400 burgers an hour, yeah. and there actually is, there's a company in, yeah. in San Francisco called mm. Momentum Machines mm. that's developed that robot. Yeah. So you no longer have a job at McDonald's, mm. oh, and the people in the, in, the, in the front store, front of the store, mm. they're now replaced by mm. you know, uh, an app or display screens or both where you can order. Mm. Yeah. So in fact, you'll have all these unmanned fast food Mm. Uh, uh, stations, if you will, yeah. uh, spread around the world where you just drive through and there's a little, you think of this like Donald Duck style, you know, there's a robot <laughs> arm that hands you your <laughs> yeah, burger yeah, and, you know, <laughs> and your account's automatically debited. Uh, mm. And that's it. And where are those people going to go? Well, mm. um, the, you, you can't have the governments around the world, I think, subsidize all of them mm. or pay for all of them. And there's not enough welfare budget mm. anywhere no. for that, right? So, so what you have to do is to figure out some sort of a market type of solution, mm. what that will look like and and how easily psychologically that whole debate mm. will go. You yeah. know, uh, uh, that will be different in different countries. Mm. And so you have Estonia on the one side, you have mm. a very free market oriented, very, very progressive part mm. of Europe. You have France on the other side where people mm. are rebelling in the streets when you try mm. to to liberalize the, the labor regulations. Right? Mm. So so uh, literally violence in the streets. Yeah. So. Um, and that's where we can't really predict, uh, you know, a perfect outcome for for everyone. What we mm. try to do now is just help people connect the dots, and then they have to make mm. their own choices. What you're saying is that what you're saying uh, is, you know, this will have giant ramification for you know education, mm -hmm. for example. It will have giant ramifications for the you know the mature organization. Mm -hmm. you know, both of this because you know what we learn in you know kindergarten from you know we have to start there right to 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 prepare you know prepare people for a new world mm -hmm. i mean like maybe you should you know start a business in first grade right <laughs> well, like like I, uh, I, think, I think i think what's going to be important is just we have to understand that that um 
scientific literacy, if mm. you will. Yeah. Um, it's 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 no longer a nice to have. Mm. It's a must have. Yeah. And it's a very competitive world out there. Yeah. And if you are unable to do something that that becomes ends up becoming sort of creative knowledge work mm. in the economy. The only kind of work that will be available for you mm. will be some type of a you know personal service work, yeah. right? Mm. So so um or entertainment, yeah. you know, or art. Mm. So you you kind of have to um, be aware that uh, there's no you know there's no slacking off and becoming a car mm. mechanic or any of those mm. kinds of jobs <laughs> that that you know that at one point mm. you used to be able to make you respectable money mm. um, and actually. Car mechanics being being not be replaced that's when yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know you're sure gonna have to know a lot more mm. to work on cars right yeah uh, as they become more high tech and then of course at some point fairly soon nobody will own a car mm. because it will just be you know it'll be owned by some centralized pool of yeah. asset ownership and you know you're just unless you are mm. a real car enthusiast yeah you know you will just uh, you'll just ask your your intelligent butler. Mm. Um, mm. uh, to to get you uh, a vehicle because mm. you need to go to the airport. Yeah. Or it knows you're going to the airport and the car will just appear and it'll be self-driving. Yeah, just, so. you know, I'm, you know, I'm, the self-driving cars, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's going to be the one of the biggest revolutions, you know, but mm-hmm. it, imagine, you know, you're selling car insurance, you know, your job's gone. I mean, you know, I mean, your, your car is standing still for 96% of the time. Well, car insurance, well, it won't go away. It's just that it will be, it will no longer be a B2C thing. No, exactly. So, That's so, what I mean. I mean, like so you, you, so entire what, industries are connected to, right. you know, the, the concept of the, the, today's concept of the car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, when this concept withers and, and disappears and it replace, replaced by a new concept, right. Everything around will, <laughs> of course. Will yeah. Crumble. So, yeah. so, so, if you imagine, if you imagine um, car ownership mm. being not so much by individuals but by organizations that own cars as mm. assets, that yeah. just like the way you you buy real estate, like yeah. you buy a cabin, you rent out the cabin, mm. it makes money for you, right? Yeah. So you might have a comp, uh, you might have a company, uh, company, and people are going to do this like mm. they do real estate investment trusts. So you can yeah. do fractional ownership. Yeah. Uh, so we call it asset investment trusts mm. um, that will buy assets like that that will be put into a marketplace organization that will then be accessed and and then you get a you know you get a uh, there's a transaction happening and you get a little bit of money and mm. your assets paying for itself you know mm. over time. Yeah. And then of course those those assets have to be have to be insured, mm. um, but that insurance will be. Will not be to the to a consumer. It will be mm. to to an organization, to a corporation yeah. that owns those assets, and that will make perfect sense. Mm. I mean, the, whatever um, some some tiny fraction of the cost to take you as a consumer from A to B mm. will go to paying off the insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, yes. So, I don't. I'm. I'm not saying that car insurance will right go but away. We're not going to use many insurance salespeople. No, exactly. <laughs> that's you know, that's my point. You know, right. just yeah. Right. And um. Uh, when I hear you talk, uh, I get the feeling of standing on, you know, running on a treadmill, and someone is just, you know, pushing the faster button right. all the time. And will it, you know? That's our job to. to <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. just increasing the speed. Of the, yeah, and yeah. and you know, will it, you know, how how far can we, you know, how fast can we run? You know, is it, uh, isn't it going to to explode? <laughs> well, so the the there's a topic that comes up kind of related to what you're asking, which is. What about people who don't want to live in this sort of, mm. you know, super high tech world? Mm. And and we've always had 
people who wanted to go off and do their own thing, mm. right? So we in so in the industrial revolution in the U.S., mm. you had uh, and as the U.S. was becoming more and more industrialized, mm. you had people who bought farms and they started communes mm. and they lived, yeah, you know, and, and mm. there and there are communities like that, mm. uh, like that today. So, so um, uh, yeah, because is that is that a parallel trend uh, that you have, you know? The you know everything is faster. Capitalism is on speed with the digitalization. Uh, will you have this parallel trend of people searching the you know the natural, the organic, the yeah, the, this, see, this, the non-digital? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of sort of pseudoscientific, yeah. uh, and I don't mind using strong language for this. Mm. A lot of pseudoscientific crap, especially in California, with <laughs> you know the natural this or organic mm. that or, yeah. or uh, uh, homeopathy or oh, mm. and it doesn't mm. help how many times you de- debunk it. There's this deeper cultural sense mm. that that um, people want to be closer to something that's mm. that's you know that's not machine related or yeah. machine driven and, yeah. and so on. And you'll always ha- find people who resist that. I mean, my own parents who still live in in mm. Norway, mm. even though they've always lived in sort of a semi rural area outside of Oslo, mm. they've always had like a weekend getaway house mm. in an even more rural area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mm. as a kid, I, I sort of didn't understand that, but but. Uh, Um, now, I think um, one example I've used uh, related to this is how uh, you know, pretty soon you'll get the first Android bartenders. Mm. Right? And that'll become an amazing thing. Let's mm. go to that bar. Yeah. It has one of those new Android bartenders. Mm. Then everyone will have the Android bartenders. Mm. And then at some point, someone will tell you, Let's go to this bar. It's kind of an underground thing, but they have an actual human, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like over sixty and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's got all these stories to tell, and yeah. you can touch him and everything. I mean, mm. Yeah. So I think you'll 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 see some of that. But mm. I'm, I guess I'm not too worried about about that as much because uh, people can always you can always pr- you know there's also a market like that that can be service and you can yeah. provide an experience for them and mm. you can buy land and yeah and and if they want to live uh, visit have that experience for the weekend mm. or or. Uh, You know, learn how to ride horses or any of those mm. things. I mean, that's there's no conflict there. I mean, you no. can you can provide that. But um, I think what what worries me more is is what's going to happen in terms of policy and mindset mm. and behaviors of of individual populations, where maybe the leaders are ahead of the general population. Mm. Like France may be an example of that. Even Norway maybe, where where you have uh, a population that's very very progressive in terms of consumer tech and mm. technology. Always early adopters, and famously so. Yeah. Um, but very conservative about any changes to the, mm. you know, the whole, the the, the social democratic mm. social contract. And, yeah. And of course, that contract has to be renegotiated now. Mm. I mean, that it, you know, you can't continue with an industrial era mm. set of policies and mm. mindset into a post-industrial civilization. Yeah. So how's that going to happen? Is this going to happen in a smooth, civilized uh, way, or it's going to be very turbulent. Yeah. And I think in places like France and Greece and so on, it's going to be extremely turbulent. Mm. And, um, and I think it's, that's a difficult, I have more sympathy after doing all this research and talking to some policymakers now mm. than I had a couple of years ago mm. about this, where, where it's, it's not that they don't understand. It's just, they have a storytelling challenge, mm. just like leaders in mature companies, you know, mm. CEOs and companies of, of five or 10,000 people, they have a storytelling challenge mm. to explain What does this all, all this change mean, and how do we as a company uh, adjust to that? And why will you know half of you lose your jobs over the next ten years and hmm. things like that? So yeah, so um, we're closing up now. Um, could you could you recommend two business books that uh, have uh, formed your um, 
formed your work and your you know your way of thinking? Well, I would say um, I'll be a bit self-serving. So I'll, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll um, there's a, there's a book by um, um, called Lean Thinking, hmm. which I think represents you know it's a good summary of it's one of the earliest lean books actually you can find, but it's a good summary of what became. Um, the state of the art of building learning organizations mm. out of the industrial era, mm. and then on our website there is a um, uh, there is a uh, if you go to Lean Systems Institute slash themes, mm. um, there is a section on post lean, and there's a there's a book there on value creation in the in the post lean future, mm. um, and I think it'd be useful to and that's a free download, so fifty seven mm. pages, mm. it's not that long of a read. Um, and if you look at those two, you can see the contrast between management thinking in the industrial era that mm. still dominates, you know, most businesses today, mm. and some of the ideas we have to think about, you know, in the coming years. Mm. Um, and we don't think we have all of the answers to this. We we have a pretty good start, and we're creating a, a consortium now, the the Post Lean Consortium, which is a, mm. a global um, learning organization, basically for companies that are engaged in disruptive innovation, because mm. um, we think that finding all the answers are going to be a, it's going to be an ongoing collaborative um, effort. So, mm. okay, Frode Ödgård, or how do you pronounce it, Frode Ödgård? It's uh, <laughs> well in California. I very quickly became mm. Frode Ödgård because no one could Ode- say my name. Yeah, so, so Frode <laughs> Ödgård. So uh, yeah. either way, it works. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for attending and uh, and participating in this podcast. Really appreciate um, your your uh, your uh, thoughts on on the society that are, are about to shape right now and um, uh, check out his uh, website could you repeat uh, the website address please so it's www.leansystemsinstitute.com uh, and just go to slash themes um, and that's where all you'll find all the papers on, on what we talked about so yeah and it will be in the show notes so uh, thank you Frode you bet It's great to be here. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to this podcast. Uh, And uh, please rate us on iTunes. Thank you very much.